power on. Welcome, Section 31 Agent. It's time for Sovereign Track. And here's your host, Brian Sovereign. Oh, Dr. Brian Sovereign is here, and it is time for your latest episode of Sovereign Trek, episode 25. Ooh, can you get enough of that? Uh, this episode is, I'm going to be doing this a little bit differently. Um, Rob and I, who often discuss, uh, we all year we've been discussing season two of Star Trek Discovery together, and we just had the most recent episode come out just a couple weeks ago, episode 24 of Sovereign Trek, and here's episode 25. And instead of getting into a lot of news and everything, I'm going to let the fallout kind of happen from this. And because there won't be any new Star Trek shows, I mean, eventually we're going to get new, new short tracks because we're not getting any of that. Um, I'm going to save a lot of the news and a lot of the reviews that I have for comic books, etc., uh, for May of 2019 for your for episode 26 of Sovereign Trek. So this episode, because Rob and I cover just so much uh, of where Discovery could go, where Star Trek could go, um, I want to leave this as is and just cut right into uh, him and I reviewing the final two episodes of season two of Star Trek Discovery and then talking about what Alex Kurtzman has said for season three, the potential for a Pike show, which everybody seems to want, um, along with uh, some other things of where, you know, potential shows and potential directions that all of this can go. And it's just, it's so white hot. It's so rock solid. I just want to let it stand as is. I'm going to let the music ride out at the end of the episode. Usually I come back after the segment with me and Rob, but I'm just going to let this one ride right out. And we're going to get right into it. And the only thing I'm going to add in here at the beginning is something that I have uh, said in previous episodes of Sovereign Trek, is that, honestly, the direction, you're not going to hear me be a whole lot of positive on, on a lot of things as far as how Star Trek's doing right now uh, in this episode, okay? Just, you know, to know what's coming, that's what's coming. Uh, but I think that because CBS just doesn't seem to, I mean, they're just playing all over the place with, you know, what time things are taking place and what universe things are taking place in. It is a... It's just, it is the perfect time, okay? It is the perfect time for Star Trek fans, in my opinion, really to take over this franchise, much like Star Trek Continues did, and and, and you don't have to do it as video. You, I mean, you could do it as like novelizations, you could do it as audio theater, which I still plan on doing audio theater for Star Trek, um, just getting everything, you know, kind of reorged right now for 2019. But this is the time for Star Trek fans, really, I think, to commandeer, uh, you know, to commandeer Star Trek and make it their own. Because who knows what the hell CBS is doing? Okay, now CBS can still do their own thing and people can enjoy that and have a great time with it. Awesome. Dynamite. Let's do that. Uh, you'll hear Rob make a great point towards the end. That's what I'm saying. This is such a great conversation. So many great points brought up, especially by Rob. Uh, you'll hear Rob say, you know, that 
right now, because there's a hiatus in Star Wars movies, it's the right time for CBS to get their ass in gear with Star Trek. Bottom line being, it's the right time for anyone who can take the bull by the horns, who can take the reins, to get Star Trek into gear. And when you hear this conversation between Robin and I, I think you'll find out why. So anyway, that's it. Um, your next episode will come out in May, of course. Um, and you make sure you listen into this month's April 2019's TIE Fighter Renegades. It's going to be a hell of an episode. Uh, all kinds of great stuff happening on Zomia 1 uh, and, of course, with Sovereign Tech, as always. So anyway, I'll, I'll, we'll cut right to it, and I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. Get ready for just a dynamite review and a dynamite overview of Star Trek as it stands today. Here we go. Beyond the moon, fighters, wave after wave after wave, lies a lone outpost in space. A potentially dangerous alien technology was smuggled aboard this station. Beyond the stars, blood calls out for blood. Lies a dream for universal peace. One night you'll wake up and find our teeth at your throat. Beyond imagination, who would do this? Why? Lies Babylon 5, the series. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. The man of tomorrow is here for ready to talk up some Star Trek Discovery. We have the season finale, two-parter season finale of season two of Star Trek Discovery. But there's no way that I am going to talk about this shit show. With, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no way I'm going to talk about this about discovery without my man without robin freebeard uh here to join me for it and we are going to break these two episodes down robin welcome once again to sovereign trek thank you for having me on board and as yeah. data would say oh <laughs> yeah right <laughs> classic generations quote right there uh, <laughs> wow um so we ended up with uh we just we just did sovereign trek uh a couple weeks ago and we covered up all or we covered all the episodes up until this up until this point um which is the two-part season finale of season two which is called such sweet sorrow uh obviously part one and two um, and this is the culmination, or supposed to be the culmination, of the storylines uh, put forth throughout season two. Again, it was a 14-episode season overall. And we will, I think we will get into a bit of like our overview, an overview of season two as well, because I think that's an important thing to discuss as well. Um, but also, not just a culmination of all that, but we knew Alex Kurtzman, who of course is the He's the Gene Roddenberry these days of Star Trek, in, in a way, uh, at least in, in role. And he had claimed that this season finale would answer all the questions, would be a game changer, would just shift everything, and nobody's going to be able to ex expect it, and nobody sees it coming. Um, and so we'll certainly break down whether or not that ended up being true. Uh, I mean, because mm. that's a lot of hype to lay out. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. Did or, the game change? Sure. Or choice of words in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially the idea that nobody saw this stuff coming. Um, right, because they pretty much telegraphed the whole thing in the first episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, oh boy. Yeah, you know. Let's just start talking about it. So, because sure. here's the thing. You know, here's the reality. There, there's. I could actually describe what happens in these two episodes 
inside of about two minutes because there's very little that actually, I mean, there's a lot that there's a lot of pretty things that occur, mm -hmm. but as far as actual events that occur, there's very few, you know, like the, there's, there's not, a, there's really not a lot of story here. Um, so we can just start talking it up. Uh, but basically we, you know, I will say quickly, that we end up with, okay, how do we resolve what's going on with control? How do we stop Leland's little Section 31 fleet? Um, is Burnham going to set off the signals? She's planning to take Discovery off into the future. And where does Enterprise fit in with all this? And uh, there you go. So, like, and, and basically that is what happens. And, of course, spoiler alerts, ahoy. You know, we, we do get control neutralized. Uh, Discovery and... Burnham in her red angel suit do end up going through a wormhole. Uh, we will talk about, we have confirmation of where they ended up uh, and we know we're getting a season three. So we will break, you know, into, uh, into that, but man, um, no, I, I saw all of this coming. I think everybody yeah. saw, saw all of this stuff coming. I mean, I think the only thing, and we talked about this last time on sovereign Trek, Robin was, a lot of people were expecting that Section 31 would somehow be a Borg situation, um, right. you know, like a Borg origin story of some kind. It does not appear that that is going to happen. Alex Kurtzman has come out and officially said that control is neutralized and that basically they end, they did end up at the end of this. They ended up 900 during the 33rd century, bottom line. That's where Discovery is going to be in season three. And they will find worse things apparently then control when they get there. That's what Alex Kurtzman has officially said. Um, so the Borg theory, which we talked about briefly last time, not doesn't appear to be the deal. What do you think? I mean, do you still think there's a chance of this Borg origin story happening? No, no, not at all. I, I mean, and, and I don't remember if I said this the last time we talked, but I kind of, I think I even speculated that it might be a red herring. Sure. Right. Right. Just to throw. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, totally seems to be was i mean I, I i have no doubts that they were trying to hint that and maybe throw people off because sure. i mean the way they represented though they, they showed those those nanobots and stuff uh uh yeah they looked like borg you know nanoprobes so uh right. i i like here again i you know i mean uh, smart move but you know to try to keep people off balance but yeah turned out to be totally fake yeah, I read some of the reviews from some of the more trusted sites uh, out there, or at least that I trusted a little bit more. And pretty much everybody had the same like opinion, just that they they there was a sigh of relief that they didn't go with any kind of like Borg origin story because because yeah. I mean like the Borg origin story as it is is already kind of a little messy. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, just uh, it's better. Like we said last time, it's better to just leave it alone. It right. keeps it terrifying, you know, and just not worry about it and just leave it be and let the Borg. I, I was going to say let bygones be bygones, but maybe we can say like let Borgons be Borgons or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so the Borg thing did not end up happening. Um, but I mean, were you predicting that basically they were going to end up, you know, in, say, the 33rd century or something like that? Yeah. And what I was mean, uh, the, the, go ahead? I mean, the biggest clue to that, of course, was the uh, the the Calypso short that we got before the season even started. Right, so the I character think, like, of we knew that the the, the ship uh, would end up in the future at some point, and you know we talked very early on about you know how is that going to happen. Well, now we know. Um, yeah. You know, the question that leaves is what happened to the crew, and of course, I'm sure we'll get that story next season. 
Yeah, yeah, um, I agree that I think we knew it was going to end up into the far future for the same reason that we did have that episode with Kraft. Um, you know, somehow discovery had to be there, and that's uh, and and that's exactly how it happened. Um, it also, I mean, it does explain that how did discovery become, or I think it can explain how did discovery end up becoming a like a, an AI? You know, have a right. conscious, seemingly conscious AI that could would appear to be able to love. Uh, and that would be an evolution, I would assume, of the sphere data uh, right. that it collected and that it's been protecting this entire time and the whole reason that it ended up in the future uh, anyway. Yeah, so, I, 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 so. my speculation would be for next season is, is that, you know, we're going to see the sphere data continue to sort of integrate itself with the ship and the ship mm -hmm. itself is going to be a character that develops throughout the season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which that, that could be, pretty cool discovery as a character itself almost like a like the star trek version of kit you know like like night right. rider right right and i'd be all right with that in fact you know we could even have it, you know what i just thought about this and that's it's brilliant they should really have it where like discovery is saying something like uh be careful michael you know and just like michael knight from night rider and that, that'd be but it's michael burnham in this case like right. if they did some if they did some choice kit quotes I would be all on board for that. <laughs> you know, that make, it makes actually makes a lot of sense too, because I mean, we kind of got the impression that Pike left command of the discovery to Saru, but they didn't yeah. explicitly say that. But even if that is the fact, he's still a fairly new and untested captain. Right. So he could use a little help. Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed, agreed. So season three is going to be interesting. Again, we have some things confirmed from Alex Kurtzman, basically where it is that there are going to be enemies worse than control, and that's about what we know, and then you can base anything else off of the episode, the short track, that being Calypso, which you mentioned, Rob. Um, but, you know, I want to ask you, how did you feel overall, like this two-parter, you know, did you feel good after seeing it or did you feel like, what the fuck was that? I mean, like, give, give me a little bit of a, a, an abstract overview. Uh, you know, I didn't have really a lot of highs or lows during these okay. two episodes. Um, you know, I just sort of like, I enjoyed it while I was watching it afterwards. I'm kind of go over it and recognizing, you know, obviously there's some problems with it. Um, so, you know, I didn't hate it, but yeah. I don't love it either. So, I mean... And that kind of, you know, when we were talking last time, I was kind of being swayed more towards, you know, your argument of, of the season two overall. And I'm mm -hmm. still kind of, you know, like the logical part of my brain is, is very much, you know, in agreement with you on that. But, you know, there 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 is sort of the the emotional element and and the, the like I said before, the acting in this season has been really good. And I think the acting in this episode was was pretty good over with, with a couple of things that didn't quite hit you mm. know but um but yeah overall like i said it's just it's kind of like a a, a high meh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i meh i like that yeah um i i don't i mean if i turn my brain off like there's tremendous action you know right. you get great starfighter battles there's some really right. cool looking things like there's other section 31 ships other than the ones that we've seen throughout season two in fact it was kind of cool there's ones that look like um that look like the the black ship 
from Star Trek Into Darkness, which was a Section 31 ship, yeah. uh, you know, the USS Vengeance. And like where they has like kind of the, uh, what they called like the Swiss Army knife or the bottle opener um, um, saucer section, which I thought, or lack, it's not exactly a saucer, but anyway, I thought that was slick. Uh, there were some really, you know, cool things with that. And I could enjoy it at that level. But then as soon as just the remote amount of thinking gets involved. Yeah. Yeah. Things fall apart very fast with these two episodes, and it you know, colors the entire season. Go ahead. You know the thing I was I was also thinking afterwards too is kind of like you know the whole battle sequence and everything. Um, I, I kind of felt like you know they were trying to do um, Deep Space Nine, you know the Dominion War sort of stuff, but oh you know, sure, Way of the Warrior kind of yeah. yeah. Deep Space Nine did it better. Right. Right. Yeah, and and without and CGI oddly enough too is like um did you did you think some of those section uh, 31 ships kind of looked like Dominion ships too. You know, they, like the ones with the four nacelles on the side. Yeah, I mean, they kind of had a look. They also looked like the Prometheus that would come yeah, later, like in Voyager. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of design cues, which is okay. I mean, it's kind of okay, but yeah, I agree right. with you. It did look like they were trying to appeal to like these big, you know, I mean, some of Star Trek's biggest battles were really, were really on Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah, no, yeah, totally. Like, Unequivocally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could think maybe um, into darkness or not into um, um, Star Trek Beyond, right? Which right. had shades of that too, with all of, you know the the drones and and whatnot flying around and yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely think, but it's it's amazing to me because I don't know how much CGI DS Nine was using, uh, but like I think of episodes like the Die Is Cast where you had the Cardassian and Romulan fleets taking on uh you know the dominion and you had the, the defiant there and everything and those battles were way more intense than what i was watching here yeah. you know or at least more or i don't know they were better done for some reason like i and the dialogue was even better which that's a whole other conversation that's, but right that's i mean that's kind of basically what i was saying this is you know deep space nine has done all this and they did it better yeah uh, and, yeah like and and i and i don't think they were using cgi back then in fact, I don't think CGI started getting really heavily used in Star Trek until the later seasons of Voyager. Yeah, that was my impression as well, that that's, that's when CGI came into the picture. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, let, let's talk a bit about the battles. Um, but yeah, but basically this is where, well, we're just going to start talking about it where I think things really fell apart with this episode. And then if there's anything like really good things, I think we can, you know, we can get into that. But the battle sequences, there, there are just some... So, so here's the thing. I think this show has, the, the writing has been rough. The science has been worse. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's rampant contradictions within the show. I mean, just rampant contradictions uh, still. And in fact, I'm still disappointed that we hadn't, we didn't get any, some of the contradictions I mentioned in the last episode of Sovereign Trek, that we didn't get any real satisfaction as far as answers of what happened with her mother, uh, you know, with Michael Burnham's mother. But, man like the in the battle sequences so suddenly a bunch of these like ships like drone ships start flying off of the section 31 ships and somehow they will like the enterprise does this really cool move where pike puts the enterprise in between the section 31 fleet and discovery to make because he knows those drones are coming and all those drones just ram into the enterprise but they ram into the shields of it and the shields kind of you know knock them all out right but then somehow there's this torpedo, which we knew was coming because Michael Burnham had had a vision of it. And this torpedo can get through, you know, through, through Enterprise's shields, no problem. 
And that, that made no sense to me that like actual drone ships can't get through Enterprise Shields, but like a torpedo can. And I, I don't, there, there, there's, there's so many little things to this. And then that torpedo, here's the other thing that like really got me. They're, they're scared to death of this torpedo that hasn't exploded, but it lodges itself into the saucer section of the Enterprise, right? Um, it's, you know, it's about to explode. And so they're trying to disarm it. This ends up in the death of Admiral Cornwall, which whatever, that's fine. Um, and Pike is like trying to figure out something to fix it or whatever to keep it from exploding. And he just says, he's like, well, you know, we can manually, or, or you know, Admiral Cornwall says we, we can manually close this blast door. You can get on the other side of it and I'm just going to let it go. And Pike just lets it happen. Pike just stands on the other side of this blast door and yeah. this, this fucking photon torpedo it's a huge photon torpedo it's it's like bigger than or it's like a, a, a maybe maybe a tenth or twelfth of the of the size of the saucer section of the enterprise explodes in his face but he's behind the blast door so he's fine and right. like, are you gonna make the entire enterprise out of those blast doors because those yeah. things are amazing not just the blast door but like that that little window that yeah. the blast door whatever they made that window out of make use the whole ship to make <laughs> right. out of that you know right what the <laughs> fuck you know, I mean, and and we're even we're talking about a Section Thirty One torpedo, which you got to imagine those are more powerful than what Starfleet regularly deals with. Well, I mean, you saw the big chunk of the ship missing at the end of the episode. Yeah, which made it look like the NX One, by the way. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's this huge chunk, and that blast door stopped that. I'm right. Like, oh right. come on. Yeah. I mean, it was too. Too unbelievable. I mean, look, yeah. I, I let my, I mean, the transporter as a technology alone, you know, can turn off your scientific mind because that raises so many scientific problems, ethical problems, and so on. Okay. And so, you know, we, and we gave concessions with like the spore drive and all this, this was, I, I mean, it's not going to make me stop watching Star Trek, but I'm just like, this was too much. I'm like, what yeah. are you yeah. kidding me? This doesn't even make sense. I, I mean, even watching it and, and watching Anson's mouth performance in that scene, I can yeah. almost even like see like him thinking personally, like I, I'm not even buying this, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can't act this believably. So I'm just going to stand here. Right. Yeah. He's like, I'll oh, just let it go. You know, if I'm lucky, the torpedo will take me too, because this is ridiculous. <laughs> it was that, that just, that, that blew my mind when, when that happened. And, and, and the whole, like, and, and there was just the whole uh, beautiful, almost fourth wall breaking comment of, about his plot armor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, man like there's so much to say about this you know and, and and because there's so much that i think really went wrong um okay while we're stuck on the battle sequence it was nice to see the d7s which i do want to make a correction when laurel appeared in through the valley of shadows or whatever whatever episode it was that she came back in originally um she did arrive in a d7 and you kind of saw it from the outside of discovery as okay. where I said, as to where, you know, we were like, where are the D7s? So I, I just want to make remember that. Yeah. No, so, right. I mean, it, it, it was a split second, but I just want right. to make that correction in case somebody like emails and says, oh, we saw the D7 here. Um, well, anyway, you didn't get to see the D7s for very long in this episode. No, I know. And why? Like, bring them in. They're, they're the star yeah, of the show. Yeah. You I know? mean, they just kind of like they had the one scene where they kind of worked in, started firing a barrage of, of, 
torpedoes and and phasers and that was it yeah you know, it, it, like the, the big ship that stole the show was the the klingon cleaver ship when it first arrived yeah 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 you know, they, should, they should have just immediately they should have cut that cleaver ship out because we've seen it before for one right and twos should just brought in the d7s like a huge fleet of them coming in that would have been cool exactly exactly and i and i that's exactly my thought and like it didn't even make sense like why delay them you know like that yeah again that was just it was more that in my opinion just shitty writing i the, the only thing i could so okay uh, an overall point here real quick is that there were in these two episodes there were so many it felt like there were so many stalls like and and I don't get it, but there there are scenes that went too long. There are things that didn't have to be shown, and it felt like they were almost filling in time, which I can't believe was happening because there's so much story to tell. There was no reason to have to fill in time with long goodbyes. Uh, some some parts of the battle sequence, like waiting for the D sevens to show up. Um, the yeah. only reason. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the long goodbyes thing, I mean, that's just been a theme that's been running through this whole show where there's a lot of appeals to emotion. And I get it. And some of it works, and a lot of it doesn't. But that, yeah. that's definitely something that's been happening throughout the last two seasons. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, is that in, in Sweet Sorrow Part 1, they did, like, five of them. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, there were so many. And I know. And, and like, I hear you and I agree that that's why they're doing it. And, and like you said, you brilliantly said, and I've, I've seen other commentators say it now too. I don't know if they heard us, but you know, that they are, they know their writing's not on point. They know the show's a bit of a mess. And so they're totally riding the greatness of the actors, you know, right. like Anson Mount and they're going yeah, through they're their performances. For the actors to get those performances. and Precisely. And, yeah. It, yeah. And I can really see that that's going on. I mean, and, and I understand it. But like that, that was just like doing like five of them in that one episode didn't make any damn sense. That's where there's plenty of cool things they could have done, plenty of conversations. I mean, it's like we finally got moments where the show could breathe a little bit with the characters, um, you know, where it slowed down because right. part two, it sure as fuck didn't slow down at all. No. Uh, but um, they could have been better moments where we were yeah, slowed down. I, although I did enjoy the like, you remember uh, last time we talked, I said, you know, we needed to bring some more levity. To the show, and yeah. we did get that one moment where uh, uh, Giorgio floats the idea of you know uh, blowing up a star, and everybody goes, "That's a bad idea." And she says, "I, I, didn't, I didn't think there were any bad ideas." And everybody goes, "No, that's a bad idea." Yeah, no, that's bad. Idea. Not happening. Yeah, that was classic. <laughs> Giorgio's awesome. She's, yeah. I mean, her, her, and Pike, in my opinion, are really carrying this show um, in a big way. So yeah, there there had been a little more levity. There was some there's some weird levity though in this, especially in part two, where the character of Commander Nan, who is the is a Benzite, whatever, she's the one with the breathing apparatus right. on that came over with Pike from the Enterprise. She like what the fuck was the the line where where Giorgio is like, you want to help me uh, take out Leland or something, and she just goes yum yum. Yeah. Yeah. And and then and then like she makes I don't know, it was almost like they were going in there with whips and chains or something. It was gonna get all BDSM. I mean right. that, that, yeah. <laughs> like that's the way she was talking. And she's like she's even like winking when they finally get into the ready room and she's like, Oh, there's so many ways. And I'm like, wait a minute, like this commander non has been really straight laced, straight faced this whole time, and now suddenly she's kinky. It, it, 
again, horrible writing. I don't yeah, understand yeah. what they were doing there. No, I don't um, think they knew what they were doing with the character. Or, no, or yeah. With the character. Right, right. That that was that was so weird. Um, now, getting back to the battle in the D7s, the only reason I can think that the D7s were held off was to give an opportunity for another, what, in my opinion, a what-the-fuck moment, which is when the Kelpians come in flying Ba'ul ships. Yeah. And, like, Saru's sister's there. And I'm which like... they don't gonna... explain at all. No! And, they but they're just like... there... And she's like, oh, we're going to fight for you, brother. I'm like, wait a minute, you were just fishing right. you know, in, in some <laughs> river. And then suddenly you're flying this badass starfighter going after Section 31. You know, like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> what did you think about that? Give me, give me, give me some break. It was weird. It was, <laughs> it was unnecessary. It just, you know, it made a, a it made, the battle was already too busy to begin with. Right. And it just made it even more confusing. Yep. And that's something else I have to say about the battle too. Is is like all these shuttles and pods that are just streaming out of these two ships. <laughs> like how? Like no, I'm sorry, they can't hold that much. That's exactly what I said. That's when I was watching. It, I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, how many shuttles can the Enterprise hold? I thought it maybe yeah, had yeah, three or no, four. Not swarms. <laughs> no. And, and where do they get all these phasers to put on these worker bees yeah. and everything? And, and, right. And and are were each and every one of those piloted by a crew member? How oh. many fucking people died during that episode? <laughs> I don't know, because it looks like there's almost like hundreds of shuttles or at least ten yeah. of shuttles. Yeah. And 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 at its height, a constitution class would have maybe 400 people. In fact, I know during the events of the cage, it only had over 200. You lost half the crew. Like oh. If not the entire crew, I mean, shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it, yeah the, the yeah, yeah. none of that made any sense. Yeah, like, and that's the thing. I mean, all, I, go ahead. At the very least, that like, I mean, like the Discovery shuttle bay is huge, and it does kind of look True. like an aircraft carrier. But True. at no point do we see that shuttle bay packed full of shuttles and pods and worker bees. We see like maybe a dozen right at any given time right not but it's 200 seemed, yeah exactly but it seemed pretty clear in part one um that that it was enterprise that really had most of those you know uh because number one says that she she took the liberty of getting them all refitted and everything right you know? right uh which is damned convenient uh, you know a nice convenient one-liner there um oh, man you know i mean that does make me want to ask this this question uh, uh, no, I don't. I, I want to stick on the bad stuff because there's some things that actually weren't too horrible. But I, I, I we'll get on those when we're when we're on those. Um, yeah, the battle sequence really didn't make a, a whole ton of sense. Um, I didn't think there was any need whatsoever to show Burnham setting off the signals. You know, you could have just said that, and you could have spent time doing other things. Um, yeah, what did you think of the whole um, like? It was the way they represented the wormhole and that, you know, they kind of like them, they were trying, it seemed to me like they were trying to like represent like, you know, fourth dimensional space by making three dimensional space, two dimensional. Cause you know, you would see the wormhole up and, and then like it would shift, like the scene would shift and right. at an angle and, you know, three dimensional space literally looked two dimensional, like a glass pane, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I felt like, I mean, it, it looked like they're trying to copy 2001. 
Right. Like when yes. David Bowman yeah. goes through the Stargate. Yeah. Or even the motion picture. Yeah. It, well, there's there were very clear, and I've said this since since Discovery began. I said they are taking a million cues from Star Trek the Motion Picture. And when in Star Trek the Motion Picture, when they go through the wormhole, that's the exact effect that happens that we saw on Discovery with the rest of the crew. Where like it's like part of them is right. extending. Right. You know, like but white beams are extending from them. Yeah, they also did that in Star Trek Four too, didn't they? When they were doing the time travel. Um yeah, they might have, like, with the Bird of Prey itself. Yeah. I'd have mm -hmm. to think about that. I don't know how much you saw it on the ship itself, but yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, I mean, just look at, you can even look around, like, on the Enterprise or parts of Discovery, the way the design language of the interior of the ship, and it looks it looks exactly like Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, so they've been borrowing from that for a good long while, which I say good because right. I love that movie. Right. Um, and it was nice to have that familiarity of look of what that what going through wormholes kind of like. Um, I wouldn't have minded if they just copied the exact effect from Star Trek the Motion Picture of what it's like to be in a wormhole, um, but with like that orange kind of twisty DNA look to it. Uh, but they didn't, so whatever. Um, but I, yeah. I I thought it was fine. It just wasn't like really exciting either, and it just felt yeah, like no, a point like sequence. Said, to me, it was just it was really weird that that, that like that effect that two D effect they did there. It just I didn't mm -hmm. like it personally. No, I agree. I agree completely uh, uh, on that. Um, I thought it was a bold move to not show where Discovery ended up, even though Kurtzman comes out and tells everybody, basically. Um, but I, I thought that, uh, you know, that that worked, that there wasn't, um, you know, that, that they left that kind of open. Um, this leads to another major problem with the episode, which was... So after the fact, we everybody who stayed behind in the 22nd century is our 23rd century is getting the uh, they're getting run through the ringer by Starfleet command. It appears, and right. the you have uh, number one is getting is getting grilled. Pike is getting grilled. Spock is getting grilled, and all three of them are basically saying, "Oh, we saw we saw the discovery explode. It's gone." You know, during this battle. And then we get a very, very convenient line from Spock, of all people, which I actually think it should have came from Pike. But we get a convenient line from Spock where he says, you know, I suggest that uh, that that anybody that has knowledge or was at this battle or saw what happened with the discovery, um, you know, they should they should, you know, never speak of it. And if they do, it's treason, which basically right. means like they get off, I guess. Right. Sworn to secrecy. Uh, right. And to say, like, and the spore drive. So this was their way of explaining, with this one line from Spock, this was their way of explaining how, you know, why you don't know about spore drive technology and why you never heard about Burnham, why you never heard about Discovery, you know, in the future, you know, say in, in the original series or Star Trek The Next Generation or why Spock never even brought it up. Because even Michael Burnham becomes a top secret subject. Um, right. It felt damned convenient. Like yeah, wait, no, that's, that's go ahead. Way to put it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's convenient. In fact, uh, uh, you know, you you and I were talking before the show, and this is exactly the moment that I felt that this story feels very much like something that was come up by writers who painted themselves into a corner. Right. And that's exactly what this moment is. It's like, well, we got to come up with some reason to tie everything up. So, like I said, we have this convenient explanation that you know everybody's been sworn to secrecy, and. This is why we don't hear about this stuff anymore. And, and you know, the, like one of the things that, that 
it's not like Star Trek hasn't done this before too, but like, you know, the, the like we assume that sport technology is never used again, although we right. know it worked. Kind of like how in Star Trek three, you had transwarp drive yeah. and it's never used again because Scotty sabotaged it. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't really make much sense. Does it? Yeah, well, there's some that gets into, especially with those warp speeds, that gets into a big conversation where people say that like warp, warp nine during the original series is vastly different from warp nine in the next generation. Right. Yeah, which is true. Yeah, which they and basically they would say that's because they implemented transwarp drive eventually. Um, but that's, but I mean, but, go ahead. But then, but but then you get into like Voyager and. Right. It's all about transwarp technology that they're getting from the Borg. And like they were yeah. like, we never got this to work. And now the Borg had figured it out and we're gonna steal it from them. So yeah. that really doesn't fly with me. Is like, yes, they changed somehow warp technology changed between the original series and next generation, but I don't buy that it was transwarp technology. Sure, sure. And yeah, I agree with what you're saying, and it's a great point to bring up. Um, I also feel that. Spock himself, and this is part of the reason, A, I think Pike should have said it because he's the commanding officer available, should have been the one to suggest to Starfleet, nobody talks about this, okay? Um, but Spock knowing about it, and in fact, it really colors poorly, in my opinion, having Spock on the show at all, was the fact that, like, he, Spock has been with Kirk, or even during the next generation, say, when they're encountering the Borg or something. If he has knowledge, and you know he was an engineering stud in spore engineering, because apparently there's two engineering rooms aboard the Discovery. He's been there studying the spore drive. He knows how this shit works. Right. And at no point when the galaxy was in the worst possible trouble, the doomsday machine, go down the fucking list of all the things that the Enterprise ever encountered, be it Enterprise, you know, 1701, A, B, C, D, E, whatever. He never bothered to say, well, hey, you know, this is bad enough. I know about spore technology and this is going to change everything. Right. Like, well, not, and, go not ahead. only that, I mean like um, discovery sister ship that wasn't destroyed. Was it? The crew was killed. Oh no, they blew it up. They, they oh, did. did they blow blow it up? It up? Okay. I, yeah. I couldn't remember, but I mean yeah. like, you know, it, it's kind of like a, here again, it's not like all the engineers who created, you know, the spark technology the drive and all the stuff that they're all dead or all their, 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 you know, their notes and mm -hmm. their, their their research is just totally gone. I mean, right. even if Spock wasn't there to figure out how it all works, somebody could go back and, and look into it and figure out how that technology worked. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I had a thought that what they really should have done is somehow tied it into that, like, I mean, and this, this doesn't fit in with why Discovery had to end up in the future or something, but I would have tied it in with the Omega particle somehow you know, and that was discussed in Star Trek Voyager to where like it maybe generated Omega particles or the Omega molecule, whatever. And then, then, you know, okay, we can't use this anymore. You know, like that, well, there's so many other ways they could have explained why the there's not sport technology did, anymore. They did write themselves an out because we found mm -hmm. out that when they went into this mycelial network, they got pulled in there that, you know, Discovery Spore Drive was actually damaging to the mycelial network. And I thought that that was going to be right. the explanation that they used, that they didn't use it anymore in the future. But they kind of dropped us on it. You know, they they, they, 
they put that explanation in and they completely dropped it. It was never mentioned again. And they're, you know, throughout the season, the continuous season, they still continue to use the spore drive in like dire circumstances. Right. Which reminds me of uh, season six, I think it was of the next generation when you found out that traditional warp drive created subspace uh, pockets where right. it, you know, and, and, Basically, Starfleet put out a moratorium that said, you can only go warp six if you really need to. Right. And unless right. there's an emergency, you can go warp nine. And right. it reminded me of that. But that rule got thrown out in the writing not, team. Like, Brand Ragged, go ahead. They, they did bring that up later in Voyager because I remember, like, at some point, like, I don't remember if it was an alternate timeline, but they mentioned encountering a species where, like, they didn't allow warp travel in their space because it was damaging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there were a couple episodes of Next Gen where they brought it up again. But the writing, the writing team even came out. Brandon Bragg and all then came out and said, "No, we we couldn't deal with that. Like we we tossed that out, you know." Yeah. Um, and and endlessly in Deep Space Nine, you'd have ships going warp nine. I mean, it, it just, yeah. So that's not new for Star Trek, I guess, to kind of ignore that. Um, but there there are so many. The, the answers we were given in this episode were not, in my opinion, for a lot of the questions that fans had, were not satisfactory. Uh, and they have a million plot holes and like, it's so easy to just poke holes in this shit. Uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, I walked away very annoyed with a lot of that. Yeah. Um, as far as explanations go. I mean, do you have any, yeah, any, I mean, but any, I mean, at this point, you know, like, I, I agree with you hundred percent, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just, I, I didn't really let it get to me because I've, I've been, I guess I've come to expect it. My expectations were already low to begin <laughs> with. I'm just sort of like, okay, this is the way these people are rolling. So, you know, like I might as well enjoy the ride while I'm along for it and and not try to get too hung up on these things. But no, I, I entirely agree. You know, they 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 shit the bed when it comes to the 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 plot. Yeah. Um, how about you know, why don't we why don't we shift a little bit? Like, let's talk about some positives. Let's get in some positives on this. Then I want to get into a bit more of an overview. Um, and anything you want to cut in with at any time, Rob, just cut in, you know, and say number one. I'm so number glad one. we got our number one in this episode. I agree. Yes, she was dynamite. Yeah, I I thought. Um, I mean, she she just great look, great presentation. Rebecca Remain is amazing, um, and we're going to talk about this a little later. But there are there are a lot of cries for a Pike show, and they want yeah. her back, and they want Anson Mount back, and I don't blame yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, that's another. Oh, all right, all right. So, so here we go. I. Let before we get into like overall positive. So number one is a positive. I agree with you. She was she was fantastic. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about where we saw number one a lot, and that was on the bridge of the Enterprise. And that is question one. What did you think of the bridge of the Enterprise? I liked it. I I thought mm -hmm. it was cool. Yeah, I agree. I thought it looked good. You know, for what for a rehash, they they did it right. And and they better hold on to that set. You know, <laughs> yeah, I I almost think I mean because yeah, me they put a ton. That was a totally new set. They've said that, uh -huh. and they put a lot of money into that. Um, right. Yeah, I don't think that's getting torn down. No, no. They, they, I like said to to make that an elaborate of a set for just two episodes. Right. They, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. You know, I, just another negative. Quick, I did feel like they it was a missed opportunity to not like for a second there when when enterprise is getting repaired at the very end of the episode of part two um i would have put the straight warp pylons on there you know because it has the curved ones 
you know, I almost thought they were going to do that. You know, for a second were, it looked like they did, but yeah, we then like at, the, at, end, at the end of the episode when they were you know repairing the ship after they blew that chunk out of it, I almost mm -hmm. thought that they were going to have the straight pylons, but they didn't do that. But yeah, you're, I agree with you. Yeah, it would have been great if they did, but whatever. I'm sure there'll be another opportunity to do that if they want to. Um, I think there was a lot of things where they were expecting with this season, they were expecting for the Viacom CBS deal to close to where CBS would have complete control over Star Trek. Right. Um, and then they wouldn't have to worry about perhaps that 25% rule, which I'm still a little worried about, though. In the future, you and I, Rob, are going to talk more about that, uh, but with the, right. that's for another episode. Right. So. Anyway, yeah, I thought the Enterprise Bridge, again, looked fantastic. Uh, I was very pleased with it. Um, it had enough of the original series to feel right. Um, well, not just the original series, but they're mm -hmm. all the little hints from the pilot episode. Yes. You know, like the, the little, uh, I don't know what it is, viewfinder. That's yeah. the number one station. Yep. And um, the one that Spock has it's, as a science terminal. You know, that was in the original series, too. But, you know, like yeah. he even had graphics on his terminal that were from the original series, which I thought was great nods. Yeah, even actually, even the cinematography at that point, especially at the very end yes. of part two. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. It's very it's much like, a nod to the beginning of Cage where they zoom in, but instead they're zooming out. Right, from the top of the bridge. Right. I, and I thought that was great. That was a very nice touch. Um, so Brilliant. I'll give them that. Yeah. Um, now, what did you think of Ethan Peck? Because we get him shaving and cutting his hair at the end, and he comes out in the blue uniform, and he looks like, or he's trying to look like, the Spock that we, quote-unquote, know and love from the original series. How did you feel about that? Um, I mean, I just have a nitpick, and that yeah, sure. the sideburns looked way too long and not nah. pointy enough. And, yeah, right. Uh, it just it kind of threw me off a little. But, I mean, I think the haircut, and, and he does... He does a passable Spock unshaven. Yeah. 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 I, I thought it looked, it looked pretty good. You know, yeah. like that's, that, that was my, it's like, okay, if we were doing a Pike show, that would work. Yeah. But for right. some reason they made a sideburn just like really long. Yeah. It just it didn't look right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. So those are my like two major questions is what do we think of the bridge and what do we think of Spock? Both of which I guess I'd say were pluses in the end. Right. Yeah. So, Rob, I mean, give, give me another, you know, positive or whatever it is. You know, it can be a negative or a mixture, too. Uh, well, what did you think about the uh, final conversation between Spock and Burnham? Uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to think of it. I mean, like, I, I get the gist. Well, she gives him a piece of parting advice and, you know. Yeah, it's where she's kind of talking about Kirk. It seems pretty yeah, clear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, this, it was fine and I got it. Like, I mean, I guess the writing was pretty good because you knew they were talking about Kirk. Right. Even though they definitely did not explicitly say it. But trying to find somebody that's very different from you, embrace that. Um, I don't think that was needed. I don't think that that... A part of me feels like that that kind of cheapens uh, the Kirk Spock relationship, which is one of the greatest relationships in in entertainment history. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I didn't feel like it was necessary, and I overall have a problem with the the faux emotional 
I'll just yeah. say bullshit that that discovery has been especially putting out in season two, but go yeah, ahead. What did you think? That's how I felt like the conversation started out for me where basically, you know, they're both like Burnham's like, Oh, I just got you back. And you know, yeah. and Spock was, you know, like you, you never lost me. And like that to me, just kind of like that missed completely. Right. And that kind of, to me, that diminished that line that came afterwards where she's like, you know, find the person that's farthest from you and let them guide you. I actually mm -hmm. liked that line. I appreciated that. I thought that was, I thought that was actually kind of, you know, I mean, and, and I, and I, and I get what you're saying, but to me, you know, like I, I, and, and I know what the, they were talking probably about Kirk, but I, I, I do think that's kind of like a positive, like good message to put out there. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like I said, the, the entire conversation that took place before that, that's what cheapened it for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. I mean, again, I'll give credit to the writers for, like, because when she was saying it, I knew they meant Kirk. And, like, that's pretty good if you can just allude to that. Like, that's, you know, nice work. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you that the, yeah, that I just, yeah, all that, it, it just didn't, it didn't fly with me. Yeah, it was a total miss. I, I yeah. and like I, I understand that they had to get that conversation started somehow, but you know, like Spock acting, you know, that forlorn and lost, like it just it it, it it didn't sit well with me. Yeah, I mean, it does speak to you know all these goodbyes in these f two fucking episodes. Like the the title is is apropos, such sweet sorrow. You know, parting is such sweet sorrow. Like because everybody's just parting, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. while dying and there's a goodbye there. I mean, I don't know what the, what the count is for goodbyes in these there's, two episodes. There's definitely a lot of sorrow. I don't know how sweet it is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, the episodes were not sweet at all in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Uh, man. Um, yeah, yeah. You're kind of, of burnt out it by that point, aren't you? Oh, the season burned me out. Like, yeah. like if, if I watch this, if I watch this, uh, like all at once, you know, if I binge watch this, um, like I, I wouldn't have any breath left. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of like the opposite of season one where you kind of had to binge watch it to really get it this season. Yeah. Binge watch it, man. You're just going to be like, you know, this is the show to slit your wrist to. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is so not Star Trek, right. you know, like, like even D space nine, I know D space nine was critical of the future, but at the same time, it wasn't critical of humanity. It was very pro like right. what humanity can do right. um, and, and, and how we can work together with people that are very different from us. Right. Like Derek. Like, and, like really dark shit where like they completely decimate Cardassia. But at right. the end of that, you know, there's sort of like, you know, you have the extremely cynical character of Garrick and you actually get a sense of hope from him. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and the, the, the message of hope that they kind of tried or the hopeful cry that they keep trying to put out through this season is like, we're Starfleet. You know, you keep getting that over and over again. Right. And you got that right. somewhat in season one. And which, Pike, which, go which ahead. Which I brought up last time. And, and yeah. you know, I mentioned that it was kind of condescending. And I kind of wanted, you know, I thought more about why I said that. And I wanted to clarify it, actually. Sure. Um, like, a thing that has been, you know, and I don't expect everybody to understand this, but a thing that's been on my line, mind quite a bit lately is kind of stuff that's been going on in the gaming industry with uh, the company Bioware. Mm -hmm. And a thing that gets repeated a lot that's come out is like, you know, they have this internal attitude of, well, we're Bioware and we have Bioware magic. 
Uh -huh. And they use that to exploit people. And I kind of like, you know, like I, I'm, I'm very wary of that kind of attitude. And that's the yeah. kind of sense that I get when I hear stuff like we're Starfleet. Yeah. And, and D Space Nine, bringing up D Space Nine throughout this episode has been really helpful because, I mean, some would argue that that's like the best Star Trek ever done. Um, and I don't I blame them for that. thinking. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, would you would you actually agree with that? Would you say DS9 is your favorite? It's it's kind of a tie between Next Gen and DS9. I, okay. I love them both equally, but for different reasons. Yeah. But yeah, like I'm not going to argue with anybody who says that DS9 is the best of Trek. Yeah. So... One of my favorite episodes of Star Trek overall, and definitely one of my favorite episodes of D Space Nine, and you can listen back to episodes of Sovereign Trek, um, where we do breakdowns of, uh, of like top eights of our, you know, or top threes of our favorite episodes and everything, um, is an episode called Paradise in Season Two. And in that, there is a point, I love this, it's what makes the episode for me. It's this episode where they, they land, on uh, O'Brien and Cisco land on this planet where technology doesn't work. And there's almost like this, like, like uh, rewilding cult there. And I'm not meaning to insult rewilding. I think that's a totally valid thing. But um, for whatever reason, Cisco has to get put into this box. He's getting punished. And right. the head of the colony says, look, you don't, you don't have to go back into this box as long as you take off your Starfleet uniform. Just take off the uniform. And that's, that's all she says. And Cisco doesn't reply shit. He just hops back into the box. Okay. Or then the other time, like he just falls to his knees because he's sweating to death in this box or whatever, you know, like heat exhaust, whatever terrible situation is happening. And he just won't take that damn uniform off. He never says a word though. And I love that because I mean, that is like, no, I'm a fucking Starfleet officer. You're not going to get me to take off my uniform, but you don't have to say it. And that's great goddamn writing. And that's the problem that I have is that even, and go ahead. It was very much a, a cool hand Luke sort of moment. Oh, nice. Yes. You're totally right about that. And, you know, for Pike and Saru and fucking Burnham and everybody to have to constantly say, we're Starfleet. Everybody knows you're Starfleet. You don't have to tell us that, you know, right. you just show it and, and you just, right. your actions do the talking like it did with Cisco in paradise. And uh, man, that pissed me off. Uh, yeah, and well, I think like, that's what's rubbing me. Go right, ahead. Like, like I said last time, is you know, like you know, uh, Starfleet isn't great because of the organization. Starfleet's great because of the people in it. Yes, not the other way around, which is the, what they're trying to you know convey in Discovery, which is bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with you. So that got that also appeared in these episodes, and even Pike. It's the one thing that I didn't like that Pike would say, uh, and it, it just got fucking annoying as hell. Um, and then that, that ran throughout the entire season. But, um, anyway, I'm trying to think of, of other negatives here that I felt with this, uh, with this episode. I mean, I could say one of the positives going back to the battle sequences, uh, it was nice to see the blue phasers, uh, in stream as well. You know, it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the Kelvin timeline kind of phasers where they're bursts. Right. Uh, it was nice to see the, the D sevens had the right color that they were launching out, you know, green blasts and everything. All that was great. Um, you know, having a lot of those nods, that's part of yeah. why I was thinking yeah. that maybe the, go ahead. Even before that, you know, they, they, like, they had the, uh, the original photon torpedo sound. I thought that yeah. was a really cool nod. I enjoyed that a lot. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's a lot of great, uh, sound, the sounds in the background, which sadly, because the show is on a streaming service, 
you can't fucking hear it half the time. Like there is a, like when you watch, I talked about this when I did a review of the Blu-rays of season one um, of Discovery. There is so much going on sound wise. And a lot of it is cues to other Star Trek. And it's a right. shame that you can't always hear it uh, because of the streaming service, because they fuck with the audio first and foremost to try and get great video out there. Um, so I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more of that when the Blu-rays for this come out, which I will still buy, by the way, even though I'm, as much as I'm complaining about the show, I still love Star Trek and I'm still going to be you know, on, on, on top of all that. Um, but I thought that that was, uh, yeah, a lot of that original series cues visually yeah. and wise. Yeah, there's, there's, there's audio and visual cues from all throughout Star Trek. In fact, I yeah. think I even remember hearing some like next gen computer sounds and, yep. you know, yep, like plenty. the, the, um, the red alert symbols on the corner of view, view screen are the red alert symbols that they use during, uh, Wrath of Khan and those emotion pictures. Yep. And yeah, all that kind of little stuff is cool. I yeah. appreciate all that. Yeah, internally, as far as internal consistency, I did like that they used those uh, spinner ships that were in the first, uh, in the episode of Brothers of season two that yeah. seemed to come out of nowhere, which I complain right. about. Right. Uh, now I don't feel so bad about them. It's like, okay, well, they used them again as like a little warship to take on section 31. Um, so that worked for me. Like, I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, a negative that I will bring up Ash Tyler is now the head of section 31. What has he been with that organization for? Four months? Five? <laughs> <laughs> the the most well, important and advanced uh, uh, organization in Starfleet, and you're hand or in, in the Federation, and you're handing it over to this guy. Yeah. The the other thing too is sort of like um, <laughs> this character is like a failure in oh, so he's many the worst. ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, just just like not even like you know like. And in, in meta sense of the way they wrote the character, no, like the, the actual character in life <laughs> is kind of a loser. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the fact yes. that he takes over section 31 and like, you kind of get the sense that like they expect him to like shape things up and make it more like moral or ethical or transparent or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and obviously by the time we get to, you know, Deep Space Nine, He's totally failed at that goal, so he he's a loser again. So it's kind of you know it's kind of appropriate that they gave him the job, considering where Section Thirty, the one ends up in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I oh man, I can't stand this character. Like, I was actually kind of I was really hoping he was going to be one of the ones that would end up getting offed. You yeah. know, to create like a sad moment between him and Pike. Uh, because they were trying to build up a Pike and, and Tyler friendship, it seemed like. Right. Or even between uh, him and Burnham. Like, I, right. I think, you know, think that would have given Burnham, like, you know, a little bit more emotional impetus to, like, do what she had to do. Yeah, yeah. And you get none of that. Uh, no. and, and that was a missed opportunity, in my opinion, to take a shitty character and at least give it some meaning. But they didn't do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I was very disappointed in that. And, and again, it just... There's no logistical sense in handing over Section 31 to that guy. That God, doesn't you know make sense at all. You know, it would have been great if um, during the uh, the episode Daedalus Project, they had replaced Arium with um, with him. Oh! That yeah. would have made, made way more sense. Yeah. And then you could still have this character of Arium and develop her the way that she should have been. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh yeah, again, missed opportunities, you know. Right. Um, fuck. 
Yeah. So, you know, I want to kind of, I guess, I guess maybe, uh, do you have any other, any other big comments you want to bring up about these two episodes? Um, I'm not really think like there's, like you said at the beginning, Brian, there's really not a lot that happens in these two episodes. Just so, action, I mean, action, action. Yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they are, they're really shallow. Yeah. Yeah, they are very really shallow. Not a whole like you know we're and we're we are we're kind of like getting into the nitty gritty sort of details here. So yeah, we, we've kind of covered a lot of it of what little there is. Yeah, so I want to do. I agree with you there that you know. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a million other things that I I can remember where I was like like last night. Understand when I was watching this, I watched it you know as it came out because I'm like, you show me this game changing episode, Alex Kurtzman, which I don't trust that guy right now. But no. <laughs> you know, I trust him about as much as I trust J.J. Abrams. I was just going to say that. <laughs> and I don't fucking trust J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Which uh, folks, he'll, he'll to, mirror bar out in the future. Yeah, exactly, folks. Listen to TIE Fighter Renegades for April. Uh, you are in for a treat this month, I guarantee you. So anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, I did. I was like, okay, here's going to be this game changer. He's going to set everything right. That's exactly what he said they were going to do. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, you didn't do any of that. Of course, we talked about it at the top of the show. But I was there was points where I was like yelling at the screen. I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like that. Like I was saying that. And I don't think I've ever yelled that at Star Trek. Um, and I don't think it's because I'm like older and more cynical or something. There's just there's problems here. So I want to get into an overview of season two, and. I'm going to lay out something here at the beginning and ask you what you think about this, Rob. Sure. Um, which is now literally we know that the first six episodes of this 14 episode season was under a different, was under different management. Okay. It was under Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts. And then after that, it fell under, um, uh, it fell under Alex Kurtzman and particularly they brought in the writer, Michelle Paradise, which they claim she's great. She was one of the people credited with this two-parter episode that had all kinds of pacing problems and everything else that Discovery's had forever. I don't know that that's any, like, I, I wouldn't put that on your resume, okay? Um, so we know that there was definitely, like, there was actually a management shift, a, a critical management shift in the middle of the season. We kind of talked about this in the last Sovereign Trek, but bottom line, I feel like the answers that we got at the end of this episode, at the end of this season were absolutely not even remotely close to what was originally planned at the beginning of this season. There were so many threads that were never picked up, never touched on further throughout the that that started off in the first half of the season and just never got dropped or never got talked about or picked up at right. the end of the second. Right. I even, mean, I, go ahead. Even the tone and the themes yes. of the show changed drastically. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I I agree with you 100% on that. And and like we said, like I said earlier, um, you know this this these last two episodes very much felt like something that was written by somebody who felt like they were painted into a corner and had to you know answer everything and came up short. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I and 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 I don't know what was going on if like if if they had a plan from the beginning and they decided to change things or maybe like the those original writers like never disclosed those plans if they had them mm -hmm. um but yeah like obviously the they it, a lot of things changed and obviously not quite for the better you know yeah yeah i mean, because, I mean like, all I, the things that were good about this show 
the the acting and the performances mm -hmm. and that stuff that would have still been part of the show no matter who you had writing right, right. yeah so i felt like i mean i was excited at the the first the beginning of the season i was like wow these is like the first three or four episodes i was like oh this is good we're, we're, we're fixing things we're gonna make this work and then it's like it all just fell apart like i thought they were going to talk about some real star trek subjects you know like we're going to talk about god versus science we're going to talk about all these other things yeah, all that life and death and yeah yeah and it, it's just gone and it never came up again um and i look i am pro aaron harberts and gretchen berg getting sent home like i really am i heard some right of the yeah ugly shit they were acting there. like shit bags yeah, they were and 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 i just never had when i used to watch them on after trek i just had this horrible feeling about about uh aaron harberts like something wasn't right about this guy he just seemed sleazy and i didn't like him writing my star trek or being yeah, in charge i of couldn't it. i couldn't watch that show at all like i tried watching the first after trek and it was just it, it i couldn't stand it no i know <laughs> i know so, you, it was yeah, terrible it's, it's so it, it is it is so annoying um so season two runs into that problem where it is clearly a it, it's almost like two it's almost like two different shows were written here uh and and that that's a really bad problem that doesn't mean now like you said and you've brought up many times like captain pike fucking awesome uh you know a lot of the act or a lot of the acting a lot of the, some of these characters were just incredible like really really well done um right. and, and all and, the attention to detail with the sets and stuff like that yep. and the stuff we talked about just recently here that would have all persisted throughout the show no matter who was writing it because yeah. obviously like the people working behind the scenes, they they obviously love Star Trek. And that's the thing right. that I've totally been on board with this season is like, you know, everybody not in the writing room loves Star Trek. Right. Yeah. And but but for whatever reason, because there's some great writers there. Kirsten Byers is a great writer. I love her Voyager novels. I mean, she's tremendous. She's doing a good job at the comic books or at least a passable job, if not, you know, very good. Um I'm just, I don't understand how the writing fails so hard. And one of the big problems also that comes from the writing is most of the jokes don't land. Most of the humor in this season, I didn't feel like real. I mean, there's a couple moments and most of them have to do with Michelle Yeoh. Uh, I didn't think that they, they really hit. Um, and I feel like, and we talked about this in the last episode of Sovereign Trek. I feel like a lot of this was just written kind of for, I mean, look, I'm a millennial, but it feels like it was written for millennials and it feels like it was written to attract the person today and to make the person today, like, like the human of the 21st century, feel good about themselves as to where yeah. I feel as to where I feel like Star Trek before, especially with the next generation and even Deep Space Nine and so on was about showing you how we can be that we can be, you know, uh, and even even Enterprise did this. There's plenty of points where I can think of some epic fucking quotes from from Captain Archer, and that was in that was before Discovery. That was in the you know in the 22nd century, right? Where it was about well, this is what we can become or this is what we have become, and they didn't bother to appeal to the modern day problems and 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 uh, dare I say prejudices and so on. I know Star Trek has commentated on those sorts of things, but I, I don't know, like the message of this is what we can become just seemed completely lost on discovery except for maybe with pike and that i just walk away totally disappointed with the show i i agree with you and in addition to that this show 
also seems to be written for an audience with a shorter attention span. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, because you get in critical thinking for a second and none of this stuff makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, I mean, this, 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 like, oddly enough, comes all back to stuff that, you know, you talk about on, on uh, Sovereign Tech all the time. You know, it's kind of like, the, you know, this is a reflection of, you know, a distracted, you know, populace. Yeah. And that's, that's the way that this show definitely feels is distracted and unfocused. And, you know, like I said, short attention spans. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, I will reserve judgment until we get some other shows like the Picard show. Boy, if they fuck that up, they're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, like I, the the one thing that gives me a little confidence there is, is that Patrick Stewart apparently has quite a bit of creative control on that show, so mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be total shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Alex Kurtzman is involved, but like he seems to be the new Rick Berman. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he very much is. Um, but hopefully, I don't know. Yeah. So, well, you raised a great point that this is like this is Star Trek for the YouTube generation, pretty much, and um, Star Trek's not. It's not that's it's not that like that's not its style. Um, I feel like Star Trek really is meant to show us a lot more, and its appeal comes from the fact that again it shows us what we can be, that things can be better, that the future doesn't have to be just a dystopian version of how it is now. And right. I feel like that's all they've been showing over and yeah. over again. And, and um, sadly, it sounds like we're going to continue to get that because we're going 900 years into the future and being told that there's even worse things. Yeah. So I and want to like, talk about you know, what we're, And, you know, we, we, we see in Calypso, you know, it sounds like, you know, like humanity is at war with itself. And went backwards. Yeah. Like everything right. went backwards. And, right. and so, yeah, it's gonna, you, no, you're right. That's totally right. I think it's going to continue on that depressing message. And I mean, that leads to another we, we could get the. We didn't even get into the problems with control. I think that they wasted that storyline because uh, it went too quick. If you read the yeah. David Mack book, Control, that could have been really, really well done. Right. Very and, interesting. And they, they, you know, they, they, and when they, when it took over, and I can't even remember his name from Section Thirty you know, they embodied in it a character that was just so uninteresting and boring. Yep. Like, and not just the character, but the actor was just boring to watch. He was probably the worst actor on that whole show this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and so so they drop the ball with control, and that runs into another logistical issue where, like, okay, you're telling me that, like, Daniels from the 29th century or, or whatever wouldn't come back and put a fucking stop to that just like he stopped the Suliban? Control seemed far worse than the Suliban in the right. Enterprise. Uh, that, God, none of that shit makes any, any sense. Anyway. So we're in the 33rd century now. We know that's where we're going to end up with season three. Um, Kurtzman has come out. He talked to the Hollywood Reporter, said we are jumping 950 years into the future for season three. Uh, I want to read his quote to segue into this. And then I have another quick topic that I want to get into with you, Rob. Um, But let's read this quote here from Kurtzman saying about how the going into the 33rd century is going to free the show up. He says, we love playing within canon. It's a delight and a privilege. It's fun to explore nooks and crannies of the universe that people haven't fully explored yet. That being said, we felt strongly that we wanted to give ourselves an entirely new energy for season three with a whole new set of problems. We're farther than any Trek show has ever gone. I also had experience working on the J.J. Abrams 
films where we were stuck with canonical problems. We knew how Kirk had died. We wondered how could how we could put him in jeopardy to make it feel real. That's what led us to go with an alternate timeline. Suddenly we could tell the story in a very unpredictable way. That's the same thought process that went into jumping 950 years into the future. We're now completely free of canon and we have a whole new universe to explore. Um, and he says, there will be canonical references to everything that has happened in the very shows. We're not erasing that, but we're so far past that point that all of that is a very distant memory. We're very excited to see uh, how uh, the elements of Star Trek, uh, you know, play in an entirely new universe. So how do you feel about that direction? How do you feel about Kurtzman's comments? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it doesn't really seem like they're, they're, they're going to be, you know, correcting course with any of the stuff that they're saying. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I'll make a prediction like a very solid prediction about what's going to happen next season um, that kind of ties in with what we see in Calypso and kind of, uh, it seems like the episode new Eden was very much created to set up the next season. Ah, and mm -hmm. I think that, you know, like I said, we kind of, it's, you have the, the Darsh, which they've already confirmed is the Federation. Right. He said, you know, that's just a bastardization of the name Federation. Right. Uh, versus, you know, um, um, whatever you know craft I, I, yeah craft was just i think craft is probably from uh uh from new eden mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. so like that that that's going to be basically the two you know that that's the point where humanity diverged and you, right. you, that's going to be the two factions in you know 950 years from now or yeah from no sure right now there was an animated show that i think was actually called Final Frontier, I think that, that might have been the name of it, that they were originally going to make about 10 years ago. And it was going to be like a web series, but it dealt with where it played up on the fact that Warp Drive was like fucking with space. Right. And so the, the Federation like split up because nobody could get to other planets in a fast enough time, like because they couldn't use Warp Drive anymore. Um, and there was going to be like an Enterprise, I don't know, H or some crazy letter. And uh and it kind of sounds like maybe they're trying to run with that, which I'm not opposed to that idea. The problem is, is you, what you brought up beautifully is that it's just going to be more of this fucking darkness and depressing Star Trek. You know, there's not going to be any of that real, um, you know, the beauty that Star Trek can put on display. Um, and I don't feel much better. I don't think the Picard series is going to bring real, any real beauty in. It sounds like it's, you know, dealing with the ramifications of Romulus exploding and all this, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. And again, we don't trust Kurtzman at all, of course. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I get I, that he's free of canon, but I don't know that I want him to be, you know, right. I, I we want to get up. off this depression fest. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like the idea. Oh, we have to deal with worse things. How about we stop dealing with enemies and right. we start exploring again, you know, you know, something that is hopeful mm -hmm. and which a lot of people, you know, was something that I brought up, you know, last time, and apparently I'm not the only one, is is that people really do want to see more of Pike because they did feel that he was like the hopeful and like truly heroic element of this season. Yeah. And that he should get his own show. And yeah. there's a petition online apparently, and even Anson Mount uh, has taken notice of it and, you know, said that he, you know, he, he would... Be, he's he's grateful to the fans, you know, being that invested in the character and his performance, which I think is really cool. No, I agree. Actually, there's a couple of interesting quotes around all of that. Uh, Kurtzman has heard that, it, or has come out and said he hears the fans that they want a Pike show. 
I want a Pike show. I assume you want a Pike show, Rob. Obviously. Yeah, Otherwise, absolutely. Otherwise, I wouldn't have brought it up the last right. time. Yeah. No, that is a positive. Um, and I mean, the way they ended season two, it was almost like we're going to get some continuing voyages here, you right. know, with the Enterprise, you know, and with Pike. Um, I would be totally on board with that. Uh, yeah. I would love it if they did it. Kurtzman says he hears it. So maybe that's something they're going to do. Uh, I know that um, Anson Mount has said that there would be, uh, he says there's room for it. He says it's not an easy show to shoot because there's like a it takes a really long time to put together like 14 episodes apparently. Right. Um, he The one interesting quote that he made about this in response, and he was like, I mean, basically he was saying he was crying, you know, that the fans wanted it that much. He said he's never encountered this before, you know, um, but he did say it would involve a lot of creative conversations. That's that's kind of the big quote that I got out of Anson Mountain, what he said. And honestly, I think he's saying, yeah, you're not going to have the writers for Discovery writing me anymore. Like, I right. really feel like that that's what was going on. Yeah. Um, well, and, we certainly and, hope that's the case, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so, yeah, a Pike show, I think that's very possible. Like we said earlier, uh, you know, they probably didn't take down that Enterprise set. There's no need to. Yeah. Um, and they could go either way with that. They could go, they could do a Pike show post-Discovery, or they could do a Pike show pre-Discovery. I mean, either way, there's plenty of time there to explore. Yeah, yeah. I would, which would you prefer? I'd almost prefer the pre-Discovery Pike, because uh -huh. the, the, when he comes into Discovery, he's completed a five-year mission. Yeah, right. Whereas right. after Discovery, he's only got a few, two or three years left before... You know, we hit the uh, the the original series timeline, in which case, you know, he's he's already you know been crippled. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure that I really want to end the show that way. Yeah, and see that I, I'll tell you something that I think needs to happen. I think in season three of Discovery, if there's any point where something needs to be saved, it would be nice to have Pike come back from like Talos Four, and give him a little bit of a sweeter send off. You know. Than yeah. just him, like knowing. I mean, we know he's on Talos Four with Vina, right, right, because of the menagerie. But I, I wouldn't mind if they brought him back in the future to to do something, right. Um, so, and that episode they have on Talosia Four was one of the stronger episodes of this season. So, yeah, I don't oh, have very that. That. Yeah, so so yeah, that that could work definitely. Yeah, yeah. So a return to Talos Four would be awesome. Um, I, I, you know, I'd be down with that uh, and bringing Pike back for for a little bit. But yeah, I think. Uh, so we're getting a book. I think it comes out in June. I have it pre-ordered. It's the Enterprise War, which is going to deal with Pike pre-discovery, but just pre-discovery, you know, okay. like, like pre-season two, right. uh, but post-season one, I think. And I'll be curious, depending upon what happens in that book, whether or not there's going to be any lead up to they're going to do a Pike show and when that's going to take place. But I agree they could do either because you can make Anson Mount look younger. Um, Rebecca Romaine can look, you know, fairly younger. Uh, yeah, I don't see any reason not to. Um, I don't even but, think they have to do that much because, like I said, it was just five years previous. I mean, that's not much time. No, right, right. They so, could look yeah. as they are. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I wouldn't mind post just because I would think a beautiful ending for a show like that would be to hand off the enterprise to Kirk. Um, you could still do that, I guess, in like an, in a finale where it takes place years later or something, I suppose. 
Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing that moment. Uh, it's it actually the not it wasn't. Yeah, I could see that. That, that would be kind of cool. Where like if if they have the handing off the Enterprise to to Captain Kirk, and then they continue with that just a little bit further, and you like you said they go back to Talos Four at some point, mm -hmm. and they have kind of like a happier ending for Pike than they even had in the cage, and yeah, I could I could definitely see that working. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would take a season four and five of the original series if they wanted to get really ballsy and do like what Star Trek Continues did, you know, and, and like lead right up to that. Because one of my favorite books, Star Trek books, is Vonda McIntyre's uh, Enterprise, which is about the first adventure of the Enterprise right. under, under Captain Kirk. And you get the handoff in that and everything. It is all like I, I was just endlessly fascinated by whatever that book had to say. So I would love for a Pike show to get to that point somehow, pre or post discovery, whatever. Um, that would be cool. But I would love it if they give us a Kirk and then that Kirk, you know, we pick up right after Turnabout Intruder of season three. And just give me season four and five and lead right into right. the motion picture. Yeah, because be... the, the original series never really got a proper send-off. No, I mean, no, it didn't. It's a criminal. Of, yeah, the last episode of the original series was terrible. Yeah, in fact, I wish that never got made. It's like the one episode of Star Trek that I wish never happened because it's put down that rule that women can't be starship captains. Right. The, the okay. dumbest shit in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was such a progressive show to end off with that. Right. That and, and, needs to be corrected. And 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 obviously they're showing willingness to 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 kind of correct some of this because I mean like even in the cage originally you had Pike saying stuff like I can't used to I'm not used to having women on the bridge, and right. obviously that's not been the case. With this yeah, no. Right. I mean, you have an admiral. You know, you have a, yeah. you have a woman admiral yeah. there, and we've right. seen. And he, and he relies on number one a lot. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. she's just kind of like she's pretty much running the shit most of the time. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing. I'd love for her character to get explored. There have been a few different ideas for her character. I think her character name is Una, and then kind of the last name changes depending upon which book you're reading. Um, technically, Drastic Measures, uh, or Drespid Hours, whatever the first Discovery book was, had Pike in it, and had number one, and they give her a name. And she has this really cool relationship with Saru. Um I mean, it was funny in, these, uh, in the Sweet Sorrow two-parter, where like the the Starfleet Admiral's asking her her name, and she says, number one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that even worked. When she, even when she's getting debriefed by yeah, Starfleet yeah. the episode, it was number one. You know, number one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in Peter David, some of Peter David's books, actually, I think it was in the um, New Frontier books, which were which are awesome Star Trek books, uh, you find out that number one is actually an immortal, like Flint from uh, Requiem for Methuselah, oh, uh, okay. the original series episode. And if they wanted to play that up, do it. Like, I, I think that would be so cool because uh, it was a way of explaining why the fuck is she so brilliant, you know, and seems so kind of ahead of the game um, as far as humans go and everything. And I I wouldn't mind if they went with that. You know, I'd like to see some of these. I mean, they're already borrowing from the books, like with Control and some other right. stuff. Borrow that because that was, a, that was an awesome idea on Peter, Peter David's part to have that character be... You know, she's not just a woman on the bridge. She's a fucking immortal that, you know, could probably wipe the floor with anybody around her. Yeah, um, she had, Peter David had a lot of great Star Trek books. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember, like, uh, like he did one of the best Borg books ever with Vendetta. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that one. That was dynamite. Yes, well said, well said. So, yeah, there's a lot to pull from. And I know, actually, uh, I've heard Robert Meyer Burnett 
uh, who did Free Enterprise, the the the, the geek movie. I'll, I'll I say that kindly, the nerd movie. Um, Robert Meyer Burnett, who loves Star Trek, um, he's actually been on, on railing for this for a while. Where just borrow from the books, borrow from the comics. There's yeah. great ideas out there. Put them in, and it does appear they may be starting to do that. They did that with this, like the the Ship of the Dead in season one of Discovery was from right. a book from the seventies. Um, so there's no reason not to keep going with that. And I think there's some really great ideas that they could run with. And, and anyway, we've talked about yeah. a few. Well, the, the, I, and this idea has been floating around because I don't remember if it was IO9 or somebody else, but uh, mm -hmm. somebody put out an article just a few weeks ago about, you know, here's all these great Star Trek novels from the past that, you know, would make great Star Trek movies, let alone episodes. So, yeah, yeah I mean, there's just, there, there is truly a wealth of material out there. I mean, like decades uh, worth. Yeah. Yeah, literally decades worth and just yeah. literally hundreds of novels. Yeah, yeah, great stuff to run with. So we'll see. Um, I mean, I'm not feeling very good about, honestly, about Star Trek right now, which I can't believe I'm saying that. It's it was it's a very different attitude that I had at the beginning of season two. Yeah, um, same here. Yeah, and, and I don't trust Kurtzman. He, his best thing he can do is just be quiet. Like, he just yeah. needs to, to not... But I mean, you know, like I didn't completely trust Bragg about, or I'm not, uh, um, what's his name, Berman. Berman back in the yeah. Day. Yeah. I didn't completely trust him back in the day, yet we, we still managed to get, you know, some great trek out of it. So, I mean, right. you know, um, hopefully he can step more into like just a, a managerial role and, and not micromanage it so far as the writing goes and not, yeah. not be involved in that part of it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, I think that like the Mandalorian and what's, you know, Disney Plus is doing with Star Wars and a lot of that is going to be a swift kick to the pants for Star Trek and for CBS. Yeah. Um, they, they, they're going to have to pick it up because. Yeah, that's well, you know, it's so. interesting because I remember we talked before about, you know, we, we, we mentioned an article where they were saying they basically canceled. The explanation was they canceled Star Trek four of the, mm -hmm. the new Star Trek movies was because Star Wars. Right. Well, you know, as we're going to talk about in TIE Fighter Renegades, apparently Star Wars movies are going on a hiatus after episode nine. Uh -huh. This is the perfect opportunity for Paramount to get its shit together. Yeah, and depending upon how long that break is going to be, that's a great point. We'll talk about that more in TIE Fighter Renegades. But depending upon how, break, how big that break is going to be, it's time to get Tarantino's ass in gear, you know, because he was supposed to be one of the people making um a star trek movie right but i think even like tarantino was like talking about he wanted to do something with the picard character but now he has his own show so right i don't like tarantino is going to have to apparently probably change his plans yeah yeah oh fuck I, yeah I, I don't know but you're that's a great point for you to bring up and you're right they should totally jump on that or let nick meyer make that trilogy that he wanted to make oh like, yeah they, they were talking with him and they said yeah make a trilogy and he he talks about what he can with it, but do that. Oh, right. Right. yeah. I mean, if Star Wars is going to be out of theaters for a little while, I mean, granted, the Star Wars being out of theaters, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, solidifying Avatar um, because Disney is kind of branding Avatar now, you know, James Cameron's uh, uh, right. Right. Uh, world of Pandora there. So there, there could be some of that, but still, then fine. Take on Pandora. At the very least, you're not taking on Star Wars. Um so yeah, that's a great point for you to yeah, bring up. Either one of these franchises could kick James Cameron's ass any day. Yes, I agree. Totally, totally, this, totally. And, and 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 don't get me wrong, I love James Cameron. I loved Aliens. I love Terminator. Yep. You know, the great movies, but they're not Star Trek. They're not Star Wars. 
Yeah, no, no. And I think even James Cameron knows that. And like you, you can even hear interviews with him when he interviews the people that makes, like when he interviewed George Lucas and a lot of this other stuff, he knows shit that's better than mine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> In fact, I remember one interview he was talking about with when they were talking about Star Wars. And like they're talking about how the you know the universe is dirty and everything, everything looks old in Star Wars and all that. And he just they go to a clip of him and 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 James Cameron just like you know just shaking his head. He's like, "Fuck, someone got there first, you know." <laughs> <laughs> so, so he knows, you know, just how great yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's time Star Trek can step up. You're totally right. That's a great point. So I don't know if there's a hopeful message here. There's the one, and maybe we'll get that Pike show, which I think would be a total win. Yeah, because uh, so. and you know. Like, like you said, like Pike bringing up the, the comment about, you know, uh, needing to make some, you know, creative, you know, allowances or decisions, you know. Yeah. Uh, given, given the position that the fans are putting him and, the sh and that potential show in, he has the leverage to have some creative control over that show. And I, I think he should push for that. Yeah, I think he's the modern day Shatner, where Shatner yeah. had all that oh, stroke. Yeah. At right. the time, and he could he, even if he wasn't directing or whatever he was doing, he could say, "I don't want to do that on the bridge," and the director just said, "Okay, fine," right. you know, right? Because so, I mean, like, I mean, and 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 uh, no shade to Hunter, but like Anson Mount has pretty much taken over that character for me. Yep, I agree. I think of him first now. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair to say. Yeah, yeah, they'd be fools not 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 to run on this um, because I mean, great actor, great character. And uh, it's about sets. the old. What's that? Got the sets. Yeah, you already have the sets all set. You know, just all right. We can wrap this up. But I one last negative, and this is that whole thing about how there was this. There's clearly two different writing, or it feels like two very different writing teams in season two of Discovery. One of the most hopeful things that I got was from the episode brothers when Pike takes over the Discovery. He's talking to Burnham, and he says. You know, while we're doing this, let's make sure we have right. some fun. Ruffle yeah. a few feathers. Yeah. You know, where the fuck was the fun? There was right. no fun. Everything was depressing. No. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we can get that show where Pike gets to have some goddamn fun. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Anyway. Just, just, I mean, I, I, and I think that's kind of like people get a lot of, you know, like the vibe of classic Trek from Mount's performance of Pike. Yes. And that's really what they want. Yeah. Give us just the 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 feeling and you know the the vibe of classic Trek that this character embodies and that the, the actor is obviously putting on screen. Give us that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think we can wrap that up with that message because that's really what we want out of this. Uh season three, I know they're gonna start shooting in July, so we can expect it probably probably around the same time as season two of Discovery came out. I would expect early maybe early 2020 uh maybe a little later but you know they got to be careful with the card show so well anyway we'll see what ends up happening there but rob as always man the absolute pleasure of you know of discussing star trek uh well anyway with the thousands and thousands of listeners here on zomia one so uh thanks for being on man and uh well we'll, we'll rejoin for tie fighter renegades and uh, we got all kinds of shit to talk about there so thanks for being on man hell yeah Woo.